I'm Jared, and I'm thrilled that you're here. We have a really interesting and challenging topic today. We're in a series, What Matters, from Jesus' talk on the big hill. You know, he might as well have been speaking in 2021. His topics and words are so right where we live. Ann and I celebrated our 43rd anniversary this week. And last Sunday, we got to speak at Cornerstone Fellowship, the church that we started 42 years ago at Sweet Home. It was really fun seeing old classmates from grade school and junior high and high school. We saw couples that we married and now have grandkids. Ann and I had a simple message for them. Help people find and follow Jesus here, near, and far. And you know, we didn't offer one goofy religious rule in the whole talk. You know, a lot of thoughtful people are considering deconstructing their faith. I get it. I've heard a lot of foolishness, bigotry, and arrogance among Christians historically and presently. And they've given you plenty to be ticked about, disgusted with, and to react to. I'm all for deconstructing the bad stuff, bad religion, and so is Jesus. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Deconstructing religion so faith and relationship can thrive. As Anne introduced this series, What Matters, she identified three underlying themes. Here they go. Relationship matters more than keeping rules. Love matters more than being right. Doing matters more than just knowing. And last week, Carlos talked about murder and anger. We were all challenged to lean into reconciliation where relationships are broken because relationship matters more than keeping rules. Today, we're tackling two very difficult topics, adultery and divorce. How are you feeling as you hear the word adultery? As you hear the word divorce? Every one of us have been affected by these human experiences. What might we feel? Well, shame or anger, judgment, alone, less than, judged, uncertain, disqualified. I have really good news. This is a shame-free zone. This is a safe place. You are not alone. In fact, all of us are prone to the sources of both of these human failures. All of us. We're all in this mess together. Equally vulnerable. Equally in need of compassion and forgiveness and grace. We are with you in your journey as you are in ours. So together... Let's bravely wade in. Now stick with me. You may be surprised where Jesus takes us in his big talk. Commitments matter. Let's read his words first. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose 
one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Whoa. Take a deep breath. So who was in this original audience? Well, they were people like us. People who were interested in following Jesus and who shared a common religious background. And what did these religious people need to learn about adultery and divorce? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. Now Jesus, who had just linked murder, the external act, with anger, the internal state, now further illustrates the relationship between outer acts and inner states with adultery and divorce. On that day, his outdoor church listeners first needed to learn to deconstruct the religious plaque that built up around their spiritual teeth. They needed a spiritual dental hygienist to chip off the nasty religious crud so they could be healthy. No problem with the teeth. Massive problem with religious plaque. For them, and for some of us, it's not a matter of faith deconstruction. It's religious deconstruction. Adultery. So, so what did a 16-year-old in the audience know about adultery? Well, he would have known that sex with a married person was adultery, that in the Old Testament, the law of Moses sentenced both the man and the woman to death by stoning. He also knew that a lot of social shame was heaped on the woman in the relationship, but not so much the man. And he knew that the sentence of stoning was never carry out, carried out in his day. So he knew that shaming was okay, but implementing the punishment prescribed in the law was not. Now, Jesus takes the outward act, adultery, and traces it all the way back to the inner source. I bet you've seen pictures or videos of the Amazon River flowing into the ocean. Uh, Jordan and I cruised the mouth of the Amazon, and it's so wide that when you're in the middle of the river, you cannot see either bank. It's huge. But the tiny headwaters of the Amazon start at 16,000 feet high in the Bolivian Andes. You see, when an affair becomes public, it's impossible to miss. It's huge in our awareness. Obvious. But the genesis of adultery is remote and hidden. And Jesus traces adultery back to the tributary called lust. He says, quote, Whoever looks at a woman lustfully, <laughs> not a passing glance, but a willful, calculated stare that arouses sexual desire, according to Jesus, this is a form of adultery, even if it's only, quote, in his heart. You see, God made us sexual beings, 
And he said about the first humans, that's very good, sex included. But lust reduces the whole of very good person just to a sexual being only, and then focuses on sexual attributes and potential gratification. We call that objectification. We get it. We do it. So what's this gouge out your eye and cut off your hand stuff all about? Jesus was not teaching self-mutilation, for even a blind and handless person can lust. What he is saying is that his followers should deal drastically as necessary with sin. Now, early in church history, people such as Origen of Alexander wrongly took these sayings of Jesus literally and castrated himself. No, Jesus is not advocating physical self-mutilation. But through dramatic figures of speech, he indicates the kind of rigorous self-discipline that committed disciples will display. Jesus, he uses hyperbole, that's deliberate exaggeration, for the sake of emphasizing the importance of single-minded, single-eyed, single-handed commitment. This is classic Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. First, he catches us focusing on those nasty people who commit murder while ferociously holding judgment, resentment, and anger in our hearts. Religion focuses on the external. Relationships require attention to the inner. Second, Jesus finds us focusing on those people who hook up while married, while happily tolerating our own, objectifying, porn use, or voyeurism. I can see your sin, but you can't see mine, so I'll judge you. No. Third, Jesus says, you know, we argue incessantly about divorce while missing the big point, that we have plenty of hard heart problems of our own. Now, you see, there was a hotbed of discussion surrounding the various interpretations of Moses' divorce regulations. The leading Pharisaic scholars of Jesus' day debated the grounds for divorce that Moses established, who allowed a man to divorce his wife because he, quote, finds something indecent about her. So the big debate focused on the meaning of indecent. And these bills of divorce reflect back to the debate between the different schools of thought among the Pharisees in Jesus' time and records the differing interpretations. The more conservative school of Shammai held to the letter of the Mosaic Law and said, a man may not divorce his wife unless he has found unchastity in her, end quote. And the more liberal school of Halal interpreted indecency to mean that, quote, he may divorce her even if she spoiled a dish for him, end quote. And the esteemed rabbi Abaka, who belonged to the school of Halal, later added, even if he found another fairer than she, demonstrating that divorce could be granted even for the most superficial reasons. So Jesus carries forth the thinking about the sanctity of marriage by alluding to the Mosaic pronouncement on the certificates of divorce. 
Since divorce was a widespread phenomenon in the ancient world, God instituted a regulation through Moses that was designed to do three things. First, protect the sanctity of marriage. And second, protect the woman in that paternalistic culture from a husband who might simply send her away without any cause. And third, document her status as a legitimately divorced woman. Now, now Jesus instead of positioning himself somewhere in the polarized debate, he says, Moses approved these conditions due to hardness of heart that blows up relationships. And instead of entering the polar debate, he goes back to the original intention of God's plan for marriage, a permanent union. However, just as Moses, Jesus allows for an exception. Sometimes the marriage commitment has become violated to such a degree that a spouse has already torn apart the marriage unit, union, namely when a person has committed, well, here's the Greek word, pornea. Pornea includes any sinful activity that intentionally divides the marriage relationship. So Jesus states unequivocally that the sacredness of the marriage relationship but allows divorce to protect the non-offending partner and to protect marriage from becoming just an empty legal sham. So in our series, what matters? Is Jesus primarily talking about divorce? Or is he talking to all of us about our hearts? Here's the three that we've noticed. Murder, adultery, divorce. He's really addressing our hearts, anger, lust, and hardness. Murder expresses anger. Your heart and your words matter. Adultery expresses lust. Your heart and actions matter. Divorce expresses hardness. Your heart and commitments matter. So much of this is really about making and keeping promises because commitments matter. Have you ever heard the expression, don't make promises you can't keep? (laughs) While promises are very important to our relationships, it's also important not to make promises that are outside of your personal boundaries. If someone asks you to make a promise that makes you feel uncomfortable, stay true to yourself and tell them that they're asking too much of you. Promises are a vital part of building our relationship. So when we follow through on our commitments with thoughtful actions, it only serves to strengthen our personal connections. Whether those connections be with friends or family or acquaintances or strangers or even yourself, making and fulfilling promises plays an important part in each of our lives. So stay devoted to your promises. Watch your life flourish. Commitments matter. Years ago, my father received a heart valve replacement. After the long surgery, his surgeon, Dr. Starr, came and said to us as family, you know, his heart tissue near the valve was so hard that it was difficult to attach the new flesh valve to his heart. 
Now the surgery was successful and my dad lived another 20 years. But I learned something that day. You know, a hard heart needs to be replaced with a tender heart. And that results in more life. In fact, it was the prophet Jeremiah that once said, what God is going to do when finally Messiah comes is that he's going to replace your hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. That is Jesus' message. Where do you need heart surgery? So what matters? Your heart and your actions matter. Your heart and your commitments matter. At the start, I mentioned that last Sunday we spoke at Cornerstone Fellowship and that we had a simple message for our friends to help people find and follow Jesus here, near, and far, to love God and to love everyone because commitments matter. Keep your heart right. Do you know what matters? Well, some of us need to chip off some plaque and deconstruct some old religion. All of us need to get to the heart of the matter as we grow in following Jesus. What's your decision today about that commitment of following him? I want to, in a moment, pray. And in that prayer, I'm going to include, well, you, you can tag on to this prayer. It's a, it's a way to express to God, I want to follow you. I come through your son, Jesus. I want to be just like those people on that mountain that day. I want to be a follower of Christ. And the first thing he does as he comes to, well, we call it your heart. It's the center core, spiritual part of your personhood. Jesus comes to that place and he gives you a new, fresh, forgiven, clean, spirit-inspired, life-giving, vital heart. And you can invite him to do that. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending Jesus, who came as your son to lead us and teach us and model truth. Thank you for the challenge today about being men and women and students who keep our commitments, that make promises of fidelity in relationships, and we keep those that make promises of, to others, and we fulfill those. And Lord, we come to you today and we, we confess freely and honestly, we often fail at that. Would you forgive us, Lord, of our ultimate failure and our failure to you and following you? And today we make a fresh and new commitment to be followers of Jesus. Jesus, come and forgive us. Come by your spirit and live in our lives. Help us, lead us, guide us in following you and help us keep hearts that are pure and clean and soft and generous and promise-keeping. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, we'd love to hear about your decisions today. Please reach out. We'd love to be in touch with you. We thank you so much for joining us today. Look forward to seeing you soon.